So the impact ask is structured to activate and trigger people's connections by believing in what you're doing, by you talking about something in your life you want to impact. And it can be a need. It can be a selfish need. But only when you are able to talk about how that's amplified, how other people can mm-hmm. see their vision as part of yours, does it really connote and engender that idea of like people actually helping. You're listening to Catalyst Talks, conversations with change agents, outliers, superheroes, and truly conscious leaders modeling what it is to be an unstoppable force for good and truth in this world. What lit these catalysts on fire to do their work and what nuggets of wisdom can they share with a world literally on fire? I'm your host, Stephanie Traeger. I'm a transformational catalyst and life coach to maverick change agents in business leadership and life. On this podcast, I wear an eclectic mix of hats, including earthkeeper, wayfinder, truth teller, coach, lawyer, business and impact strategist. My intention is holding space for higher purpose, peak wellness, soul mastery, and deeper impact so we can live in harmony with ourselves, each other, and nature. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. If you love it, please share and spread the word. We're on YouTube and all the podcast platforms. See the show notes on catalysttalks.com for links and enjoy this episode. Before we jump into this episode with David, I'd like to share a word from our sponsor, The Journey of Increase, and that's journeyofincrease.com. The Journey of Increase is a 90-day self-mastery, self-guided program or unprogram, and it's a journey to amplify physical vitality, mental freedom, emotional peace, spiritual expansion, and build the best version of you. If you're looking to expand your belief in what's possible, up-level your confidence, release into flow and prosperity, step into aligned action, and receive and increase more of what you want and less of what you don't want on purpose, this 90-day journey will support you in reprogramming those subconscious patterns that might be holding you back from the health, wealth, joy, love, connection, impact, freedom, relationships, and success you desire. So we're always influencing our outcomes, either positively, negatively, or neutrally. And rarely is it neutral because of so many unconscious programs that are running all the time. And the journey of increase guides you in an authentic and intentional process of changing your words, your thoughts, your beliefs, and your experience to change your life. It works at the subconscious and the conscious level. This is a beautiful program. I highly recommend you check it out. And if anything in this episode is resonating with you, this is a program that might be a supportive tool. When you embody the practices that shift your vocabulary, your vision, and your perception, and the story you're telling about your life and the world, your reality changes. Tectonic shifts occur in a short amount of time and over 90 days. This process leads to truly sustainable results. So check out the website, journeyofincrease.com. Look forward to having you experience this amazing opportunity. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catalyst Talks. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you today. I speak to my friend, David Holman, who's the CEO of Orchestrated Connecting, co-founder of Orchestrated Opportunities. He collaborates with family offices, startups, impact-focused businesses, nonprofits, and individuals teaching the power of trusted relationships. And then he brings his network alongside theirs to scale impact. He worked for nearly two years with the Dalio family. He's also a musician, a composer of classical music whose work has been played around the world and has been played on the radio, often with modern dance and also in theater. He's carved an international career based on his ability to meet people where they are and help others. He's an ambassador uh, to several organizations, board member, and also an advisor to Regeneration VC. This conversation is such, it's like a class. It's a masterclass in the art of connecting and the art of 
the ask, the art of um, moving your mission forward and mastering that art of the impact ask, as well as honoring the chain of connection and learning how to really tap into the wells of gratitude that brings more abundance to you and everybody. And so there is so much to share in this conversation. We're going to drop right in, but also I would love to ask you to share it. Please share this with your network. We offer so much free content here and speak to so many interesting people and often bring on people like David, where we're sharing literally a masterclass that one would have to pay for, you know, to receive some of this insight. And so I would love if the one thing you can do is to share this with your network. And a second thing I'd love to ask for is if you can rate this show and give a comment on any of the platforms you listen to. So that means the world to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your attention and for being here today. Welcome, David. And thank you so much for joining us today on Catalyst Talks podcast. You are an intentional connector. You have a whole vernacular around the orbit of connecting networks, human chains, and capital, and you've carved an international career based on your ability to meet and help others. I know you as an incredibly altruistic human. I've just come to know you. And I also know that you hold really amazing firm boundaries that help others as well. I wanted to have this time with you to expand these edges around what I know of you and what I'd love to learn and and give an opportunity for you to shine because you hold space for so many others to shine. You share your brilliance in so many ways. And I'd love to share this with my audience and have them taste the music and art of your work around connecting, composing, and impact. So today I really want to dive into your passion as a connector, the work you've done to hone this expertise, including your forthcoming book, your podcast, the awesome organization that I'm coming to love so much, Orchestrated Connecting and all the amazingness around that, a potential startup I'm hearing in the mix around scaling connectors, ability to connect. I also want us to explore how you collaborate with family offices, startups, and impact-focused businesses, nonprofits, and individuals, teaching them the power of trusted relationships and how you bring your network alongside theirs to scale impact. So David, let's just start with how you're feeling today and what's the most amazing connection that you've made in the last week? Thank you, Stephanie. I'm feeling great today because my older kid just turned nine. And as she says, almost a tween, and to which I say, oh, dear God. (laughs) Um, But she is almost a tween, even at nine. Uh, We can thank social media for that. You know, most amazing connection of the week. A colleague of mine told me about a daughter who was having some mental health challenges. And I immediately wrote two friends, one of whom has dealt with this with her children. Another is a major mental health advocate for teens, asked them to jump on a call to support him and possibly his daughter. And in 30 minutes, they had both gotten back. They were open for the intro and calls were being scheduled. And so when we, for me, when you talk about the power of connection, what's the ROI, what's the deal, how big is anyone's business doing? What about the thing you can't solve even when you're majorly connected? This, this mm-hmm. you know, colleague is a, a phenomenal human being, a successful founder with perce- perception of great access. But how do you ask for a connection in something personal mm. with, the, with the courage to say that's what somebody is dealing with, especially a family member. And how do you do it in a certain way where you can then transfer that trust through me to somebody else? Mm. And that, when I talk about the power of orchestrated connecting, it's that trust. It's that trust that if you give something to somebody else you trust with no expectation back, what you get from it is all that you need. 
but in a systematic community of such, what you actually get is a much different ROI because all that is remembered, cherished, and celebrated when you have a need, which is not often the case with connectors for when we're not just helping others. All right. So expand a little bit more on that. And and I, I just love that, that about you. It's like you're so integrated in this mission of yours that it really, it shows up in so many ways that we, so many people would take, you know, just take that not for granted, but not even include that in the idea of networking or connection, right? It's like business and personal. That right there, you hit it on the head. That's the fallacy in connections, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when somebody says to me, like, which hat do I have on with you? Family office, philanthropist, mom, I go, why do you have multiple hats? You can only wear one. Mm, you. And that's you as a person, right? So why do we differentiate between what we need personally, what we need for business, what we need to help others with when it's what our daily and active life is? Mm-hmm. For me, there's no hat to wear, but the one that is about connecting to other people, figuring out mutual respect and value, and if you can act on it to support somebody doing so. But the flip side of that is when you do it and you do it frequently, as you and I and many other in the orchestrated network do, at some point, I would dig into that comment you made to ask for clarification. At some point, what happens is you are no longer in a place of abundance. And then there is something that you need, not something that you and your place of abundance need for somebody else. Mm. And you hear crickets. People don't return calls. They're not suddenly as willing. And I've seen this over a thousand times where I push people to tell me what's called their SHIT story. And they finally tell me it or several. And it's astounding that somebody of great constitution and character acting to give other people what they've spent their time working on, which is relationships, that when then we need a favor back. How could we ask for that? Mm-hmm. How could we ask for somebody to support our business? I can't make that type of connection for you. But the flip side is always true because when people see their needs as something they deserve, they act uncouth and uncharitable. And when people see our collective needs as something we can move forward, it's a different approach. But that's the difference between community and the mm-hmm. people who are really focused on their own selfish needs. So you created a structure, methodology around, let's say, solving or um, supporting the transformation of that challenge. So talk to us about the methodology for orchestrated connecting. Sure. So this methodology, and I, whether I like it or not, I've been told to call it my mantra. So there's a lot of different philosophies in it, but in the end, the whole point is to help make relationship value valued. I believe it's what we put all of our energy into, all of our time, all of our money, work into people and relationships. Relationships are what make the world work. There cannot be a guest on your podcast without an introduction made to you for somebody you meet to be on this podcast. There cannot be a deal that happens without somebody introducing a company to somebody else. You do not Google and find relationships. Mm. You might build them through social media and technology, but relationships are handed off one by one with trust or circumstance that brought you to that. Mm-hmm. So I figured out that the most important thing for connecting was that relationship value wasn't valued because connectors don't know how to ask for it. So I built an entire rule system around asking for our value. 
And in that, and this is where the methodology comes in, in asking for that value, it allows people to be both selfless and selfish at the same time by asking people to honor the chain of relationships that bring about the type of connecting that moves something forward. And so there's an intentionality to how we connect. There's a purposeness in terms of how we engage with others and what we ask for that value. And then there's the data feed, the response back that we ask people to do, or we put sometimes in plain words, sometimes in a little bit more veiled, this idea that if they don't act honorably, then their relational value, the relationship capital they have, how people perceive them might go down. And for all the wealth and fame and power in this world with the, you know, except for the psychopaths that run certain countries and dominate the, you know, Eastern Western hemispheres, people care about the reputation significantly. And so that is at stake. Then conforming towards better practices means we all act more ethically, at least when it comes to how we manage relationships and connections. There's a lot to unpack in there. And because I've heard you say it a few times, <laughs> I can help unpack this, but I feel like for people who are listening, there was so much richness in what you just said that I'd be, I'm curious for the listeners, like if, if you could actually parse out how many chunks there are in there. So there's the impact ask, wanting to go into that. There's the chain of valuing the chain of connections. What and how do you do that? And then also the piece around, you know, relationship capital, obviously relationship, a reputation, I think it's it's very unique around not just the methodology, but your come from. It's very unique in the sense that, like, I, I'm I have a I'm a high integrity person, and I can say that there's so many. I'm really just in meeting you and understanding this kind of methodology and just the the way that you hold space for these connections. I've been inspired to do my own kind of um, what do we call it um, audit on how I actually work with connections and networking, and I'm always introducing people. And I think I do have an opportunity to do better at the thanking part, right? The thank you part and really chase, uh, tracing the chain of connection. just want to say one thing. Right when I met you and heard you speaking this beautiful methodology, I had had lunch with a friend I hadn't seen since like pre-COVID four years ago or so. And he sat down and said, thank you. I treat, and he, we didn't talk about this, you know, but he said, I was wondering, we just closed a, a deal at the firm over a hundred million dollars. And I was like, where did that come from? And I chased it, I traced it back to you. I was like, tell me more, <laughs> you know, and this, it was just such an interesting moment where I'm like, where, where can I do better at that? So let's impact different parts of this. Okay. Um, let's start with the impact ask, which is what you led back with, which I believe always people lead within an intentional order. How do you ask for something that you need that doesn't come through as a want or a desire, something that you need more than other people, but it's an actual need? Everyone needs money. Everyone needs a job. Everyone needs something, right? I mean, everyone needs a vacation. Like some get it more than others. I certainly need one now, but I can't see <laughs> it in the near future. So the impact ask is structured to activate and trigger people's connections by believing in what you're doing by you talking about something in your life you want to impact. And it can be a need. It can be a selfish need. But only when you are able to talk about how that's amplified, how other people can mm -hmm. see their vision as part of yours, does it really connote and engender that idea of like people actually helping? Because me saying, I want this, I deserve this. Do you want to help me? 
if I say I need to build a startup to help more connectors amplify their visions, and when this happens, what we will have is a tool that empowers the people at the center of technological innovation who understand relationships, the one thing that cannot be automated. And I want to empower those people by building a technology so that our visions and our impact can be magnified globally. That's the first two-thirds of the impact ask. Where people mostly fail then is being specific in the type of people that they want to meet. So mm-hmm. I would, you know, I would be naive if I didn't say, Stephanie, your friend that just thanked you and honored the chain with a hundred million dollar deal, want to approach him about being involved in the startup. Because if he's understanding honoring the chain, if he had been able to trace that back not four years ago, what else could you have done for him and his firm? What business, what ROI could they have if they saw your value as a connector? And you were able to make five more intros that led to five other hundred million dollar deals. Mm-hmm. Could we build a technology together that tracks that, that has a smart contract with it, that has the ability to trace it back to you and then map out that in my network and our mutual friends networks of these are people to help support those deals, mm. be co-funders, co-investors. There's an ecosystem in this, but it's not measured because we can't measure how much we trust people or how we know them or our interactivity. And all that comes from this idea that unless we know how to ask, we don't know what people could help us with. And this is what I found most connectors, most people were horrible at for themselves. This is part one. This is trying to get the people who have this value, but anybody who has value to understand, to ask in a way that it will be received. And in some cases, somebody else's vision is greater than yours, but then you found a home, a companionship, something to work with. In other cases, your vision is greater than others, but you've inspired them to talk with you, to go on that journey with you. And at some point, you now have community, support, system, family, alumni group. There's a bunch of variations, but what you've done with it is build community by aligning visions. And since we live in a world of community, that's the most important part. The second part is about honoring the chain. And this is basically saying that as somebody who makes the intro, you need to have the recognition for it, which means you need to ask somebody to honor the relationship, the intro that you're giving. And when you do it systematically down several links in a chain, you also build community by creating gratitude amongst each of those links. And at the same time, you very purposely get to gloat about what's happened for you from these introductions. And so it allows you to actually close the loop of not just here's my ask, here's the impact, here's how it's magnified, but here's what the connections that came from it did to build a circle, a community around me where everyone feels valued as part of it. Mm. If you can do that right time and time again, more responsiveness, less gaps in what you need or who you need to talk to, more purposeful and intentional in giving, but also in receiving. And this is the, it's a, a mental shift in how to look at this value and understand how to demand it in a way that you seem gracious doing so. Yeah, you have a, a firm way of doing that. And that's why I mentioned the boundaries piece, because so much of this is around boundaries and There's an energy that is transferred. So I have been experiencing the orchestrated connecting community. And is that what you call, what do we call it? The orchestrated connecting community? Orchestrated connecting community. 
Yeah. Or the, <laughs> we could call it the OC community, but my buddy Topher also has a business called OC, OC. Collaboration. Collaboration. There's also everyone thinking we're based in SoCal and we're Orange County. You know, every acronym has been basically taken, but the point is, and this is why I use the musical term, you know, everyone thinks of an orchestra, a symphony, as something unwieldy that only geniuses can do. Mm. And when you think of something as unattainable, you don't think you can be that. And I literally believe that everyone can make their life, can make their community a symphony. And it's just understanding these tools, like the two I described with Impact Ask and Honoring the Chain, help elevate and get you there by purposely curating the people around you, being more intentional with what you need, and being really intentional as people are making introductions for you as who you wish or want to spend your time with. Mm. Because time is the one thing we don't get back. And when we are not purposeful in our time or time management, especially when we become people, other people want something from, it can be really debilitating and exhausting. So how do you, uh, obsessive compulsive is another word that came to me. <laughs> we'll see, but it's the sure. good kind, right? <laughs> um, so, but, and it's true that what you're saying is there needs to be a, a bit of a, obsessive compulsion in a positive way. I think that, I think that's actually, there's a stigma around that, but it's a good, sometimes it's, it's used for good. So how do you take us through your own process? Like you have a, this is an art for you. You are also a composer, a musician. So you haven't, there's an art for you to create all the notes and pull all the pieces together. And, and do you have, you created systems? Like how did it start for you? You say, okay, you know what? I need to have an event because all these people are asking, like, how did it start for you? And how do you systematize your process? So let me address the musical part first. I was 21 years old. I'd just written my first string quartet. Not that I've written many. I had two. So my first of two. And it was performed and then there was silence. And I was terrified. Thought no one liked it. They just sat through this. They didn't even know what to do to applaud. And then I realized I had taken people through some sort of transformation musically. And that silence was the process they were still going through, that resonance, even after the piece was clearly over. And it lasted about a minute. And I realized the point of profoundly impactful music is to achieve silence, which seems antithetical to what you want, but actually became it. And so when I make the right connection, what I do for somebody is introduce two people at that same wavelength. And what they get out of it is more than I could have known by the same way I didn't know playing a piece of music would create profound change in how my friends or the audience were processing their emotions what place I've gotten them to, to feel more purposeful, more calm and more connected, more heard. And so as eloquent as that sounds, I made a bunch of asinine moves for a decade before I built Orchestrated Connecting because I falsely assumed that everyone I loved and trusted and respected knew each other and knew the extent of my passion and elevation of them. I would walk into events, conferences, birthday parties and be like, Stephanie, you know, what do you mean you don't know so-and-so? They live in Northern New Jersey, five minutes from you. And you'd be like, I've never met them. And I realized that was my mistake. That what I had failed to do was take that trust I felt of each person and connect that group to each other. And I was getting at the time while running an Israeli arts foundation, like family office requests for people invested in indigenous rights, cryptocurrency, and cannabis. I had somebody ask for a connection to a Ukrainian dairy farm family 
for a project. I got the strangest request, not, do you know it's Zach Perlman? Can you get me tickets to his concert? For the answer was, no, everyone pays for it, including me. But if you're a potential donor, I can get, take you backstage. I got all these requests and I didn't realize, right? Because the things sitting in front of us that are the most apparent are the ways we go, but they don't happen until we synthesize where we have these blockages, mm. which means that I was blocking something in myself of owning the fact that the network I built was bigger than my own needs. And it was paying mm. dividends back to me because people who were not Jewish philanthropists were introducing me to Jewish philanthropists at a clip of 10 to 1 compared to Jewish philanthropists. So why were people who were vouching for me on content of character more impactful? And that's when I realized the same way that if the irony seems you write music to achieve silence, you don't embrace a community to deepen that community. You embrace diversity of community to get back to the community that you need. And when I realized that's what I had done, it had been sitting in front of me, I called up one of my dearest friends, my friend Rachel Gerald, who's one of the co-founders of Nexus, an incredible impact-focused next-gen community. And I said, I need you there at my first event. She's like, great, let's do it. I mean, she's always enthusiastic for everything. And I go, what date can you do? And she's like, November 1st, 2017. I said, okay. I'll do a doodle if you can come. I did this. I did a doodle. 40 of the network could make it. And everyone walked in. And no one knew more than four or five other people. And everyone in that room was the person who walks into a room at TED, at Summit, at Milken, at Skoll, at DC Finance, at Prestel, at every community, every congregation of influential people in some way. And they only knew a handful. And then they realized that they were all the same because for them to be invited, they fit my code of being an action-oriented natural giver that I would leave my kids with. They were a natural connector. But what I did was purpose purposely and systematically let them know why they were there, why I wanted them to get something from this event, not give to it. And I created a system and a structure by which that there was a follow-up, there was a chain to be honored. And the final thing, which was I was going to mention when you asked for this sort of origin story, I realized almost on the spot that the thing missing, it's not just the obsessive compulsion, which also makes my apartment incredibly clean, even with small children. It's the fact that we need the element of risk clearly stated in order to actually have people provide us what we need and live by standards. So in my community, if somebody, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? I don't know. So if somebody introduces me to a bunch of selfish assholes, they're gone from the network. Somebody introduces me, and this happened once, to somebody who turned out to be a womanizing pig and came to my event and hit on three of the girls there. I not only kicked that guy out when that person defended that person's actions, I kicked them out too. That's the element of risk. If you want to bring somebody in this network, everyone is welcome who's a connector, but your risk is you stay in it if you can choose the best ethical people to come. And with that risk, the main risk is based on behavior. If you go into my network and you meet a family office for which there are over 450 in the network alone, and you meet some next-gen friend and then his family gets involved with you, and then I find out six months later that they just invested in your company, mm. I'm done with you. All I asked was for you to say, hey, David, I'm so glad that I met 
James or Tanya at this event. They're really passionate about this alignment. I wanted to keep you in the loop and thank you so much for bringing us together. That's all I ask. But if you sign up to do that and you can't do it, then why should you have access? Because who else could you do that to that I would trust to put in front of you? And the element of risk used to get me in a lot of hot water, Stephanie. My friend Rick Lipkin, who's been to more of my events than everyone else, would come after everyone. He's like, it just doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right that you would just kick somebody out. And I said, I get it. But do you think twice about it every time I make an intro? And he goes, every single time. And then mm-hmm. I said, this is the missing element in community. It's not just that's going to bunch of people together all believe in saving the planet. There's a lot of people that say they're going to do a lot of things and take no action. So in my network, you take action, you make an intro, you uphold it, you respond to it, or you're not part of it. If you're constantly asking me for intros, but unable to make intros back for other people, you're not in the network. You're a collector. Mm-hmm. You're not a connector. If you're constantly looking at what you can get from coming to an event for you, you're no longer in the network. Then you're a taker. If you're coming in with the spirit of, as you did when we first spoke, I'm, I'm very busy, I'm very purposeful, I'm very driven, I need to figure out if this is right for me. And that's your intention every time, which means you approach every relationship consciously and purposely as a value for your time or theirs. Multiply that times 1,100 people, and that's what I built. Not everyone's perfect. People have gotten divorced. People have done a bad deal. Like, There's a lot of things that one would say, well, what's the ethical? And I say the ethical I care about is how you handle relationships Mm -hmm. and how you interact with people to make them feel valued. Because I can't make everyone in my network like each other. Some of them are exes of brother-in-laws and all these other complicated things. What I can ask you to do is take your behavior and elevate it in the society and in this community. And if you can do that right, then you can transcend that as the process that you've said you're going through now. Just how to be more purposeful with the relationships in your life now. And that's what orchestrated connecting is. That purposefulness is taking your melody and purposely adding in your string section, your brass section, your winds, your percussion. Mm -hmm. All these elements, which are still your voice, but other people's coming with you. You know, I think it's interesting as somebody, I've always considered myself a connector and I, and as you say, and like I have integrity and I'm intentional and I'm still, I'm still actually, that's what kind of why I wanted to have this conversation with you, because I think it's so important that so many people hear this, because I think a lot of people might consider themselves amazing connectors. And we it's very humbling to take stock and say, wow, where can I actually be better at this? And not only for me, but for others. And I love how everything is centered around the impact ask. Let me just share that when we were connected, it inspired me. It's the first thing to do is to reach back out to Joe and say, thank you so much for this introduction. You know, would I have done that? Like, we're so busy. How do you even remember all these things? It's such a small thing to do. And to start adding in those simple, simple thank yous, there's so much value to that, not only for the other, but also for yourself. And then the, I just want to share the experience I had as somebody who was introduced to you and how you were very intentional about, okay, what's your impact ask? And I was like, uh, (laughs) I'm all about impact, but wow, I don't even know what you mean by that. Tell me what you mean. And so you quickly shared your articles and here's what you do. And it was such a profound experience, I have to say. So 
thank you for that. That's that's actually why I had you here. So I can say thank I'm honored. you publicly. It really was a profound experience. I've written my bio 50 times. I write my speaker sheet a million times. I write my website. Like I had not really sat down and intentionally said, what is an impact ask? And how do I integrate all the things that I feel like I'm integrating and being right now and working on? And not only ask that for me, yet have that be in the realm of the impact and the realm of the other, other people in my sphere as well. And it was a really cool exercise. So thank you for that. How did you come up with that formula? I was bad at it myself and needed to get better. <laughs> and I realized that that process, right? If people didn't set their intentions, then they were missing opportunities, mm-hmm. myself included. And if I couldn't be around somebody who could learn how to ask, not have it ready, some are pros, but if you don't have your purpose, you fit into, and this is, I'll I'll just reference the book that I'm currently writing. So I believe there are three types of people. And I believe that there are, there is one type of person in the end, those who achieve what they want because they're purposeful. And that doesn't have to mean becoming a billionaire or launching a startup or becoming president. People can find purpose in achieving what they want and being happy in it. Somebody who wants to be an incredible parent and share their kids' PTA and raise amazing kids, that's purpose. Somebody who, you know, takes care of their mom and, you know, just is an incredible parent to their parent during their latter years, that's purpose too. It's when we have those choices, but we really have larger aspirations, that is where I see people falter. Because in those examples I gave are where circumstances come disproportionately, unfortunately, that affect women in the still patriotic age of men must be better at everything. And I don't believe that. I actually believe women are superior, not equal, because of their approach to community. And the facts Mm -hmm. don't lie. When you give microfinance loans to men, they suck at it. When you give them to women... They pay it all back. Their community's better. Their children are educated. And the men who they brought in became become more amazing parts of society. So for me, we've lived in this other circle for a long time, this pointed one, so to speak. So when I talk about types of people, these I'm talking about types of people with purpose or something gnawing away that they never achieve. So the first one, and this is why I'm giving this in response to your passion and your eloquent like activation for me just saying, what do you really need? I may not be able yeah. to help you right away, but I want to know. I really yeah. want to know. And what's, what's it going to do to sit with you? Because everyone sits, and this is going to get into some old poetry, but my dad's an English professor and my mom is a master's in English. So this is my parenting growing up was Keats and Thomas and, you know, Wordsworth and everyone else. We lead lives of quiet desperation. That is as simple as we have a lot that we've always needed. What gets in the way with it are things that we want or things we desire that we'll never get. And so a lot of us lead lives thinking, I could have been that football player. I could have been that actor. I could have been, I could have been. And in some cases, circumstances get in the way, but most times we get in our way. And that's eats away at people because they don't have the courage to ask for it. And that next phase, once you start to have the courage, are the type of people who, and this is another, you know, man who uh, 
gave this quote was also an alcoholic creative. So they had a very tortured life. But besides people that lead lives of quiet desperation, there are people that rage against the dying of the night, rage against the dying of the light. And that means that we, we seem purposeful. We live our lives. We want, we, we have what we seem we need. Then we go home and we're not happy because we don't actually have purpose, even though we seem to be. And when you're sitting alone with your thoughts and as much as people can be happily married or in partnerships or happily single, we are always in the end alone with our thoughts. And when those thoughts provoke rage and they provoke this idea of failure, it eats us up. And the two types of people who sit in this are those people who are selfish who take others' needs or wants, people who purposely profit off of others. They think they have lives of purpose, but they don't. Because in the end, they know they don't have value. They know they've not achieved their purpose, and therefore they'll be dicks to other people. They'll be chauvinist pigs. They'll be combative. You know, they'll just, these are the types of people that I feel are the, are the real worst part of society because they have positions of power influence in many cases, and they use it for their own advantage, not for others. So when you're looking at this in terms of archetypes of purpose, when you can get somebody to understand how your passions and theirs can align, then you can get to that third phase. And that is the elevation that I hope people get to. I'm still working to get to, but I, I believe I've achieved to some degree with orchestrated connecting. This idea that when you're living purposely, there's no longer this thought of rage, of dying, this idea of quiet desperation, because at least you have put it all out there. And you may fail, but if you love the journey and you can have other people love the journey with you, then your life is more profound and purposeful, whatever the aim you set out to be. But if you don't ask for it, you will never get what you need. I think I mean, that is the key right there. You can be so on purpose and yet feel things aren't coming together, right? You can be so clear on your purpose and be able to articulate that simply. The exercise in, in articulating that with your specific ask in, you know, reading your audience too, I, that is the, that's the art. And that was, that's the invitation is articulating your purpose with the specific ask. And that's exactly it. And it is something that you have to redo repeatedly mm -hmm. and repeatedly. Yeah. You know, I go through exercises where every five years I write my obituary, mm. what I want to be remembered by. And when we used to get Time Magazine or Newsweek delivered every week, which I don't know what happened to them, at least Newsweek, like I used to read the obituaries and the milestones. And it was amazing. Everyone was a politician, a journalist, a creative an inventor. There was never anything about a doctor, a lawyer, a hedge fund manager. All the things that made us look at power in a society, so few were remembered. And everyone who had a purposeful life that added something to society got that note and got that mention. So if we're going to add to society, then we need to be purposeful about it. And everyone believes that everyone else can read their mind and help them for what they need but also buy that obituary spot in the magazine, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, you know, in the, in the magazine, like when they, when like somebody passes, it's like, all right, well, this is the legacy of this person. Like they're yeah. chosen out of like thousands that pass every minute of having had an impact bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you, for your work, believe that what you're doing is bigger than yourself, then you can choose to be purposeful of how you build community with it 
or at some point you can go, why didn't it work the way I wanted it to? Why didn't enough people who listen to this podcast go, oh, I love her approach. I'm going to listen to more of her podcast. And then from that, go, wait, what is she actually talking about in terms of catalysts? What is her vision? I should call it my friend and talk about him becoming one of her clients because the way that she approaches intentionally interviewing people then results in me going, what if she was doing this with a CEO every day? Mm. What if she was working with a community around this? Because I'm asking for you in this case, knowing the brilliance of what you do, because people listen and they are passive and they might go, all right, I met this guy that's a composer that used orchestrated and connecting. Great. I now have it trademarked at least, but we have that. Um, but other than that, like, what's the, what's the purpose of spending the time to listen to this? Unless it's going to activate somebody, your recognition of me and us in this conversation with the intention being, can the people listening do something from us connecting in this way? Can they understand what you are bringing with your consultancy, with your vision and your platform to the world? Can they understand how you're helping elevate mine so other people go, oh, well, my brother's a connector. He should meet David. And anyone can literally Google me and find my email on my cell phone. It's that easy. But if you credit you as the reason somebody reaches out to me, I'm going to respond because that's honoring the chain. Mm. I heard David on Stephanie's podcast. If you write me and you go, I want to connect. Could you help me with this thing? I'm not going to respond. That little nuance of recognition, it's a small thing, but the small things add up. Yes. Thank you for that. You know, it's interesting because on the podcast, I always I'm holding the space for other people. And I have a hard time. People say, are you monetized? It's not a monetized podcast or whatever that means, right? I believe in the morphogenetic field. The morphogenetic field being like, do something over here energetically. There's You're creating aligned action and it's, it could come from the other side, right? You might do something on the left and it comes from the right. No politics intended there. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And so- so often I don't act like that's not my intention, though. That's sort of how I live. And because it's not as intentional as orchestrated connecting and there's little impact ask, you know, when I'm even creating one of these podcasts. And so I love that you shared that, but I wanted to go back to, you mentioned like, so someone's listening and coaching because just from a point of, as someone who does work individually with people, and this is, this is a weak spot for people. It's a weak spot for me. I'm sharing. And, and this is something I thought I had even dialed in. So, and, and I'm like feeling, what's the feeling under the feeling of, how it feels challenging sometimes to be bold with your ask, be that bold with and intentional with your ask. But not only that, the nuance of, you know, you can be really passionate about your purpose. At the end of the day, if you're creating a startup, you're so invested personally on the success of this project or this endeavor. You're so invested with your reputation, with your finances, with the outcome that sometimes it's like it, it's at max bandwidth. So what gets pushed out is that extra space for the gratitude, for the intentional following the chain. And so what I love that you're doing and when your book comes out, we're going to share it with everybody. And that's why I wanted to, ha to have this conversation with you. It's like the intentionality, like any muscle you're building, it's creating the muscle of these practices that you're offering, you're sharing and what gets to happen once that becomes a muscle. It's a great analogy because when you're, you know, when anyone's trying to get back in shape, say, especially early January, <laughs> people give up after a week. It takes me three weeks. Like when I, when my younger son now turned five, I was finally get, to get back out of dad bod shape to in shape. 
And it took me weeks to get over the absolute retraining of my muscles to get there. Mm-hmm. And I've been through that several times in my life of having been in and out of better shape and needing to get there again, because everything had to be retrained. For this, I would say our training's been the opposite. Because if you're launching a startup, if you're running a business, whatever it might be, and you're focused on what's in front of you, there comes a point where you can't do more by yourself. So why would you not think, let me build my community as I go to celebrate my successes with me, where I can feel valued and add value as part of it? Why would you not think, let me just do that little bit of gratitude? Because if I were to call up any of the most famous, richest, powerful people I've ever met and say, hey, I'd like to say thank you for something. They all take the call. Mm. Trick is you don't ask for something after. Mm -hmm. That's what they're used to. But when you just ask, and then you have that silence, that's the other silence to achieve where people have an expectation of something from them. And in that gap, their response is, well, what can I do for you more? We've been so trained. Our muscles have been so trained to go, Stephanie, I'd like to have coffee with you. Oh, why? Well, let's just have coffee. 25 minutes into a 30-minute meeting, I have a startup. Would you like to fund it? Whereas if you say to somebody, I believe in what I'm building. I've mapped this out for four years. I understand the power of connecting the strength of relationships. And I want to find the most important family offices and VCs to elevate relationship value and help them become dominant in their field because of how they lead with integrity. Do you know people who might want to talk about funding my startup that would champion what I'm building to help champion their vision. First five minutes are purposeful. The next 25, maybe you just have really good coffee and tea. Like there's a way to do it that inverts this idea that we have to be shy about what we need if we have any street cred or veritas for what we've done. I will proudly say that if anyone were to say, and I can't do this because the device that Jeff Bezos built is right over there and she'll turn on. But if anyone says, hey, play the music of David Homan. You can hear my music. No one does it. I get the numbers. And yet everyone says, oh, he's so amazing. He's a composer, but no one takes that next step. The people who take the next step, and I don't mean just listen to my music. It's classical. Not everyone likes classical. It might make you cry. Maybe no one needs a good cry today listening to this. But the idea is that like, if you put something out there purposely, then people might do it. If you don't and you assume, then you will be in that quiet desperation or rage against the dying of the night mode. So if you do it purposely, the worst that happens is you weren't talking to the right people. Mm. But if you don't take the step now, at some point you go, oh, well, I always wanted a different career, but now I'm 54. What do I do? Or in my 20s, I thought I'd do this and I'm 23 now and I just can't get there. But you're not asking for where you want to go. This is the way that I believe most people should live. Because when you set those intentions, it just gets you more of your tribe quicker. Mm -hmm. Let's people think, oh, you know, you should meet somebody else who also loves nature and quiet and birds. And then somebody goes, oh, are you a birder? I'm a birder. And I go, I'm not a birder, but my mom's a birder. Look at the app she uses. Suddenly we're in a whole different tangent, but it was purposeful because I put enough out there. Somebody puts enough out there to be vulnerable which we are very shy to do because that's the thing when you say deep down, that's the thing that you or anyone else is always scared of. That when we lead with vulnerability, we'll be met with judgment. Mm. And I would say the person who meets you with judgment 
when you lead with vulnerability, you shouldn't have been talking to in the first place. Let me ask you though, what, why, I mean, I love that you're coupling this. And that was my next question is this piece, this feeling that people have that they'll be judged or they won't be liked or they'll lose the opportunity or whatever it is that they're putting themselves out there. What do you say about, you know, there's that feeling of, I don't want to be arrogant. You know, I don't want to be a taker. So that kind of reconciling of the impact ask actually not being a taker and how you're saying you invert it and you actually, you know, you're not hiding it until 20 minutes in the conversation. Yeah. How do you reconcile that piece where people sometimes feel the arrogance of asking for what they need or want? So this is the trick and this is the art of it. One, why ask until you know how somebody's doing or whether they want to meet you to talk about it? Why ask in an inappropriate way? That's a lot of what a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. Also, why ask when you don't know what somebody else's vision is? If somebody says to me, I want to build a startup that helps seeing eye dogs meet owners, but I'm not going to pitch them on my startup because they want to do something. That would be asinine of me to suggest that when they've suddenly said their value. So first you ask yeah. how somebody's doing, what they're, what's happening in their life, what's going on. That connection that I made that I was proud of at the start of this podcast happened because I asked a colleague if he was doing okay. And he finally, and he opened up to what was happening and I didn't say, okay, thanks for sharing. Like that was the point. Actually the point of the whole call was to help his kid. Mm -hmm. that, that's the ROI. Yeah. No expectation back. So the challenge people have is that when they don't have any lived experience, then they can't talk about what they've done. But then when they've done something, but they don't think they've done enough, it cripples them from asking for more. I am a composer that no one has heard of. My music is barely played. I've gotten four commissions in my life. I also have 204 works that I've written, seven albums. You can hear my music on Spotify and Amazon and Apple, all these places, because I made it happen. And I still don't have anything of the career that I want. But I've had my music performed in front of hundreds of thousands of people, and people love my music. Some people listen to my melodies all the time. And it inspires them and gives them purpose in their day. And that makes me feel incredibly grateful that I've been able to give that to people and able to demonstrate for them that part of my soul can connect with theirs. And that's my passion around writing music. Now, did that come across as arrogant? No, I was going to say, you see, like that you, you demonstrate just a caring for the, the soul of what your soul has created. And there's this reverence for creation. But right. And let you true. Yeah. And, but to add to that, right. If the next part of that, I said, and I don't know if anyone listening to this podcast knows the conductor of a major symphony or the board chair of one, but I'd love to write another symphony. And if they like my music, get it out there in Toronto or New York or LA or Chicago or any of the places that would make my career happen. Because what I want to do is to write more melodies for people to understand that my world of connecting and my world of composition are the same and if I can give you purpose in my music, then you will listen to my words to find more purpose in your life. When you do it this way, right? I just said, hey, find me somebody who's very powerful in the classical music world to say David Holman's music should be more received than it is. And he believes in it. Therefore, I believe in it now. Like people ask in a very direct way or an indirect way, and they don't ask for the passion around it. Right. I just thought of somebody to introduce you to, by the way, which I hadn't thought of before. So yeah, the power of that. But 
triggering connections, triggering mm-hmm. the thing everyone has a value in because everyone can be a connector. Everyone has relationships. There's not a single person that doesn't have something of value in a relationship for another person. It doesn't have to be knowing billionaires or knowing celebrities. This mm-hmm. happens at a community level and it's only a community level. Different communities have different elevations of it. Yeah. But a community that is a community of new moms in suburban Baltimore, figuring out how to, during COVID, have their kids have socialization is just as important as a bunch of billionaires getting together to solve climate change by choosing not to fly in their private jets and take public transportation to a meeting at the UN. Like for me, they're equal because they're community and focus. Some might have a different scale of impact, but the way to ask into both of those is exactly the same. So that's the answer to how, how to get over it. Part of it is get over yourself. Yeah. If you believe you have something of value, ask for it the way I just demonstrated for my music. And if people listen to my music and they go, man, that guy writes derivative crap. It sucks. It's sort of like Brahms, but not as good. Then like, you know what? Thank you for listening and trying because I put it out there. Therefore, I'm not afraid for what happens from it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm more afraid of what happens if I live a life where I never put it out. True, true. And another thing is that the assumptions, right? Uh, Part of the four agreements, be impeccable with your word, always do your best, make no assumptions. Make no assumptions is like, often we assume we don't know the right people. And it doesn't matter. Like this person that I shared who shared the deal that that he traced back to me, it wasn't the direct person that I connected him to. It was the person that like two more chains down. And so it's not always like that direct. It's not always that linear. And so really, well, yeah. here it's, it's never linear, never linear, it is, or it is so rarely Sometimes. linear, mm-hmm. but you take two stones and you throw them into a pond, right? The ripples are an even measured ripple that as they move towards each other and they hit, they actually get faster. So when you think of this in terms of connections, right? You and I connecting as say two stones at some point that people we connect each other to will move something faster and accelerate it. Mm -hmm. At that point, that's what's apparent. What we do not see is that it started with those ripples. Mm -hmm. And that is the power of relationships because I've not seen anything substantial happen in my life that didn't happen from two people throwing stones that way without an expectation of where those other ripples fall in. Amazing. There's so much in this conversation. There's so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, David. I have already thought of somebody to introduce you to. So I'm excited about that. And anyone else listening, I also would love to hear, and you did say this already, but I think it was folded in the ask around the startup to scale the connecting community. So here's what I'll say. I didn't think I'd be an entrepreneur until everyone told me I've been an entrepreneur every moment they've met me. So I was reluctant, still am, to build a startup. For seven years now, and especially the last four, I have measured how I work and how hundreds of other people work in my network, which is a network of networks. And I've not yet found a single piece of software that helps us measure the strength of authentic relationships, mm-hmm. helps us understand the who in our network, and helps empower the connectors, the community leaders, to be seen to have value and maximize that value. So I'm going to be launching, ideally, this late summer sometime in fall, a startup purposely to connect people the way that I connect in this network Mm. with hundreds of beta testers who run hundreds of communities with networks in the thousands. 
I have an advisory board that is so impeccable. If somebody goes, what's your data privatization tool for X and Y? I go, oh, my friend's father built the data security for the NASDAQ and the London Stock Exchange. He's my advisor. What's your role in relationship mapping? My buddy who built and has a famous TED Talk in relationship mapping. I have the people. What I need are people who will not just fund this, but share in that vision because what they do is the case study for amplifying impact. And they want to fund something that will elevate how they work with this network, map it out and give everyone a tool that allows us to map out and demonstrate our value, that allows us to, in our own private way, own our own data around connecting. Mm -hmm. And more than that, systematically elevate the way that relationships are tracked, measured and responded to. And it's a very complicated beast with a lot of data security and privatization and all those big terms of AI and regenerative AI and zero data proof and all this stuff I've learned. But in the end, I want to empower the connector to demonstrate their value and have us elevate society more systematically. And I believe building a technology that can do that will create massive structural change in influence and power structures Mm. by putting people of higher integrity into more visible world of power through their relationships. So that's the vision. I'm four years in. I went, ran to the MVP with two CTO friends. They said, everything's mapped out. I do my work. Now I believe I'm going to launch it. And therefore I need people who can go. I'm a VC. I spent half my time just talking to people in my portfolio companies. Everything I raised for my fund is based on relationships. I've never seen anyone connect like you. Let me fund it. Mm. And then I can have a right hand who's literally letting me elevate them while building something. I don't want to chase. I don't want to be handed something. I want to build something purposeful that's based on seven years of hard data, the hard work of systematizing, connecting, and building something that scaled during COVID when people were wondering how to connect and my network tripled in size somehow. The reason I mentioned that is I already can't manage 1,100 people. What happens when I'm at 1,500 or 2,500 or 10,000? I need a system to make this network work to have more amplified impact. And that's what I need to build. Beautiful. And now it's on Catalyst Talks podcast, which is going to spread everywhere. And everyone, you know, listening, part of the impact ask right now from me to you for sharing all of this beautiful content that comes to you in an assortment at all days and times is my ask to you to share this with your network in case you don't have that person for David, somebody else might. And for this mission that is not only for David, but for the impact. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. And and you demonstrate it. Like that was so beautifully demonstrated for us to see, like, this is what an impact ask looks like. I would hope Stephanie, that people listen to this and they call you up and they demonstrate to you what you give, what this <laughs> podcast does. I hope that, you know, if anyone listens, don't just listen. If you're actively listening, then actively participate. You have a choice. Everyone has a choice of how to be better and how to do this more purposefully. I just don't want to live in a world where people who could impact people sit afraid of the consequences of action mm-hmm. when really the consequences are of their inaction. Yeah. There's a lot of people that have a lot more to give. And honestly, in this world, they don't look like me. Mm. And we, we need a society that has everyone else see themselves as the alpha. And I believe when that happens and we are slowly heading there, society will be a lot more egalitarian and purposeful. And a lot of the strife we have will no longer exist because power dynamics will be completely different 
yeah. when we when we live by our actions. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be alpha necessarily, right? Like, so there's a beautiful feminine way and masculine way and all the ways to do this. I just want to also say one more thing. It's a soft skill, right? Where we're talking about soft skills, human skills, being able to read other people, being able to, you know, work out whatever blocks that you have. That's the inner work, do your inner work so that you can have that, not only the clarity, but the confidence. So these are, this is, sometimes it does take the inner work. And one of the fastest ways I find around it is practicing. If you are really uncomfortable, and I've noticed this being in the network too. It's like, if you're uncomfortable with your own ask, practice saying, what's your ask? Practice being the one when someone's sharing and they're not actually doing the ask, practice being the one saying, what do you need? That starts the, you know what I mean? Like it, it puts you in that place of, it creates confidence. It as does. Well as, so, as well so as reciprocity. It's the exact way to see it, right? And that's why the world isn't based on extroverts succeeding alone. Introverts have just as much value and there's people in between. In the end, if you approach it with curiosity, even if you're not ready, your qualms or your nervousness will go down when somebody has shared something with you, ideally, that helps excite you, that you feel you can add to, you can help with. Mm-hmm. That's the way to foster true connection. For me, it's as simple, and I call this fishing. First time I sit down with somebody that I've never met, I will immediately share within the first five minutes three things that you know might be fun, might be vulnerable, might be humorous, like my nine-year-old's calling her house herself a tween. Please, super moms, because I'm a super active dad, how do you deal with an overactive nine-year-old acting like a tween into a teenager? Like, I'm going to be learning as I go. But like that's something that somebody who has kids or has a niece or nephew, like, might comment back on mm-hmm. or, Oh my God, my 15 year old just did this. Like that would be one. But when you give several, you'll get something back. It immediately makes you more comfortable. What do you have to lose? How's somebody going to judge me for being happy? My daughter turned nine on April 18th, since the podcast isn't airing today, to be clear, no happy birthday, birthday. Evos on, on May 20th when it launches, um, but, or whenever it does. But the point is, what do you have to lose? To be human, to be personable, to share vulnerabilities, to share excitements. The more you do that, then it's not just a, what do I get out of this conversation for me? Or why am I meeting with you? Which is how so many people sit down feeling that the time to connect with somebody is a burden. For me, it is the greatest opportunity. And that curiosity and the viewpoint of that means I meet somebody and then they go, oh, you should meet my mom. She ran such and such. Like It all comes from people feeling that you're there for them. Mm-hmm. not there through them. And that's the difference of what a connector's soft skill is. Everyone can learn it. Everyone can get better at it. I certainly can always do better at it. But it's the soft skill that's necessary for anyone to elevate their life, mm-hmm. to find a partner, to parent better, to find and build community, because that's in the end all we have. And keep in mind, right, I said this works better to practice when you're not in a place of abundance when our lives fall apart, the community, those friendships are all we actually have. So that's why it's it's worth investing in. It's essential Mm -hmm. to look at that and to build a community of as much diversity as possible. Because when you surround yourself with people who are like you, but don't look like you, I believe you end up with a much better model of how society is supposed to function than surrounding yourself with people who think like you, look like you, talk like you, and agree with you until suddenly, where do you have when you have a need? So much. Thank you, David. I want to honor your time. 
I also feel like I share the four agreements. I mentioned the four agreements before, Don, Don Miguel Ruiz, and I only said three of them, but the fourth one is so apropos. So the fourth one is not to take it hope- personally. Yeah, I was hoping you'd end with that. So yeah, not to take it personally. Who, yeah. Who's out to get you? Like how many women worry about their wedding day and people criticizing their dress? Who goes to a wedding and criticizes the bride's dress? And if they do, why were they invited? Right. Like we, we live with these fears that are irrational that we sit with that eat us up. So true. And, you know, this is why I'm so grateful for you having me on. And for taking the time and creating the space and the intentionality around interviewing people who can be catalysts, my hope is that what this actually does is help others be catalysts. That would be, for me, a much better return than somebody wanting to elevate me or my startup or my musical career. Because I believe that if we have more people that are catalysts that are acting with their purpose, we have less problems. So true. Amen. So thank you, David. I I love that. I would say that that is the last nugget because that's that was the nugget. But if you had one more thing to share, if you really just tune into the people out there where, you know, taking a read on where people are at, what's the one more thing, if if any, that would make the difference right now? I had one premiere at Carnegie Hall. One. Seems like a big deal, but not once you've had it. And I wrote this piece of music. It's called Melancholy Dance. It's for cello and piano. One of my first pieces, three and a half minutes. It's very sweet. It's, you know, it's a decent work, but it was like my early one, like my first child, basically. And I had a premiere. And then seven years later, this woman came up at one of my other concerts and she said, I've been listening to that every single day. And I said, that's so incredible. That means so much to me. She paused and she's like, oh my God, I never told you, did I? No, like you've not been in touch since I saw you in 2001. And she said, I just, I just assumed because the music was with me, you were with me. Mm. And it broke my heart to realize I've been wondering if anything in my music had ever helped anyone. And that was the first real case of profoundly changing another life. Mm. So that takeaway talking about gratitude is I know everyone listening has somebody who's profoundly changed their life. This is what my buddy Chris talks about with his 747 club, express the gratitude, take a moment and call somebody up or write them with no other agenda than say, this is something that resonates with me that you have done. That Mm -hmm. it always sits with me that changes my life and watch how you feel, but look at what happens to them. That for me, right? That's the learning. We sit with it and we don't, bother, not just to thank, but to really show the value of other people. And if everyone did that, we would not have such a crappy day every day, but we don't, we don't do it. We don't say the song you wrote, this book you gave me, that thing you told me 15 years ago when we were sitting in an airport, we missed those opportunities, even though they sit with us. And I don't know why. So that's what living an intention is. It's not about your intention or what advice I could give somebody to like help them make themselves a better person. Other people have been great to you, Stephanie, and great to Mm -hmm. others. So pick up the phone in the next five minutes and say, mom, this thing sits with me. It always matters. Mm -hmm. My friend, right? When we lost, when, you know, when I lost my sister, this is what you did for me. You showed up every day. The actions people have taken are what you need to credit. The words that led to action for you that led to purpose. And we just don't do it. And it's so 
mind-numbingly hard to understand that we live in a world where everything on the news and everything on the media is doom, gloom, this. Somebody was mugged in Brooklyn and you live in Philadelphia, beware. It's like, it happened miles away. What's, but we live in that culture of fear mm-hmm. because we're taught that that is what we need to hold on to to protect ourselves. And everyone involved in anything with consciousness or mindfulness, self-enlightenment, you all realize that you transcend yourself. But that for me isn't where you stop. That gives you perspective on what added value to your life. So pick up the phone and say to somebody, I want to honor this. I want to value this. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And the feeling you get from it is worth listening to however long you edit this podcast down into because take action to help other people and you will find a better reward than winning the lottery, getting a promotion or somebody thinking you're awesome for something you did. The feeling you get when you make other people feel that is worth everything. Oh, (laughs) that's, that's the invitation and I'm going to take it and I invite everybody to really let those words of David just drop into your heart and think outside yourself for a moment and express gratitude. So I'm really grateful for you, David. Thank you for being here. Happy birthday to your beautiful daughter and to you guys, the parents. And yeah, I look forward to sharing your work. Everyone can find all of your details in the show notes. I know that I participate in your network and orchestrated connecting in New York City. And I know that you are also have other locations. Would you like to share um, some where people can find you and the dates for those? And we'll share. Sure. So uh, orchestratedconnecting.com, which will be in the notes if people can't spell. Right now, this year will be in Austin, Boston, Miami, DC, and Los Angeles. And Ideally, if I could pull it off, London, maybe Zurich. But the network is global. I'm looking for connectors to connect with other connectors. That's what this private invite-only network is. And anyone who's in it can recommend other people. Anyone who listens who thinks it's a connector, if you're smart about being a connector, don't just find my email. Give me some information on why you wanted to connect, who we might know in common, your passion around it. That's all that's needed. But the goal is connect everyone together who can have greater elevated impact. And we do that to the people I think are the most powerful on the planet, but marginalized, which are connectors. Awesome. All right. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Catalyst Talks. Stay tuned for what's up next. And please subscribe to our podcast and rate us wherever you listen. You'll find these all at catalysttalks.com. Join the conversation on social media. And if you'd like to reach out, please send me, Stephanie, a private message through stephanietraker.com. Your attention means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you.